The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Thanks. Um, guys, I am really, really excited about what we are just about to begin. Um, we are beginning today. And we're going to be here a while. Um, we just saw that. What, what does it mean to be a worker who is approved before God? It's, it's a big part of, of, of what we are asked to be in behalf of our Maker and our Lord. So what does that look like? Well, we're going to be looking at this for quite a while, all right? Uh, and if you want to look specifically, most specifically, at what it means to be a servant, leader, worker for God's kingdom, there's, there's two places, actually three, in the New Testament that speaks very clearly to that. We call it, the, the fancy name for it, the pastoral epistles. Um, and the, the letters that Paul wrote to two men in particular, one's name was Timothy and another was Titus. And when you go to those passages, those books of the Bible, you're going to see Paul talking to two young men, telling them, this is what serving God in a church looks like. All right? Today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, we'll be bouncing around just a little bit, so be ready for that. But we're not going to go too far. Okay? So, if... It, 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 it's near the end of your New Testament. You'll find it. There's a first and a second one. First Timothy, Second Timothy. We're going to take a look at Second Timothy today as well. Not sure where that's at. Look at your concordance in the front of your or your concordance, your table of contents in the front of your Bible. It'll tell you exactly where to get, where you can find it, and get there because this is this is some powerful stuff. All right. Let's ask God um, to use His Word this morning to um, to bring about change in our lives. Okay, Father, we come before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for, um, for all that you are. We thank you, Lord, that you have... Lord, it's a humbling thing. You, you've chosen us to do your work in this world, and specifically in this part of the world. And that's, that's a humbling thing. I don't think we feel up to that task, Lord, and we wouldn't be without your help. Lord, help us to be ready for your call when it comes to our lives. You have a job for us to do, Lord. Help us to be ready to answer your call. If that means we've got some changing to do, Lord, show us. Convict us to change. Give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to change. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, the preseason is over. Thursday night. Guess who's bringing in the NFL season this year? Some dinky little team called the Patriots. I don't know if anybody knows anything about them. But they're playing the team that everybody loves, the Chiefs. All right? All right? Thursday night. Okay? Um, something is going to happen Thursday night. Not happen this coming Thursday night that happened this past Thursday night. There's a, a young man on the Chiefs roster now that a lot of people are excited about. Some of you might have heard his name. If you're a Chiefs fan, if you're not a Chiefs fan, this will mean nothing to you. But his name is Patrick Mahomes. Played at Texas Tech, was drafted in the first round. First time Kansas City's drafted a quarterback in 30 years, all right, in the first round. And they bring him on, and everybody is so stinking excited about this kid, 
all right? He's got a rocket. He throws a football 72 miles an hour. I can't throw anything 72. I can't throw a ping pong ball. I can't throw a golf ball. I can't hit a golf ball 72 miles an hour, okay? And he can throw a football 72 miles an hour. He can read defense. He can do it. And everybody's so excited about him. But here's the thing. The Chiefs already got a pretty good quarterback. And they got him for another year. So this guy's going to be behind him waiting patiently, hopefully, because I'm not so sure all the fans are going to be patient waiting to see this guy. But what we're hoping is going to take place, the fans of this team are just going to have to trust that this Patrick Mahomes fella is going to do everything he can in the next year to be ready when the time comes to be the man. All right? And you're just going to have to blindly trust that he's preparing himself, that when the call comes, he will be ready. What about you and what about me? Now, we are not on the Chiefs roster. I don't think there's anybody out here that's on the Chiefs roster anyway. But there are times in our lives when a call will come when we're asked to ban the spotlight, when we're asked to step up, and are we doing everything we can to ensure that we will be ready when the time comes? When God says, I've got this for you to do. Are you ready to do it? Okay, I told you to turn to First Timothy. Stick a finger there, okay? Because something we're going to be looking at a lot these next few months comes out of 2 Timothy. It's only going to be, for me, I think it's only like two pages away, all right? 2 Timothy 2.15. Burn this into your brain, all right? This is Paul writing to his protege, all right? His apprentice, if you will. Timothy, and he's writing to him, and he says this. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Timothy's challenge that he received from Paul. It is no different than the challenge that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, lays before every one of us in this room. If you are a follower of Jesus, this challenge has been laid at your feet. Present yourself before me, Jesus speaking, approved. Okay, I've already told you a little bit about these two letters. Timothy, first and second Timothy, two different letters, and one to Titus. Timothy and Titus, let me tell you a little bit more about these guys. They were young men, and they were given an incredibly awesome task. I mean, a huge job. And this is it. Paul was a traveling guy, all right? Paul would come to a place, establish a church. He was never there more than a year or two, two years at the most, most of the time, unless he was in prison, all right? So, um, and then he would move on to the next city, the next region. And behind him, he would leave churches that are started now in these communities, well, it's a big thing to have somebody, this, this 
spiritual giant, this, this Paul guy there telling you and teaching you what to do, and then he just up and leaves. And guys, this is the first century. They did not have these things, okay? Matter of fact, Paul is in the process of writing what a lot of what we call our New Testament in these Bibles that we have. So he leaves them, and there's a void there. There's, there's, there's leadership that needs to be filled. And Timothy and Titus were given this incredible task of setting up leaders in these churches in Asia Minor and in Crete, a little island in the middle of nowhere, the Mediterranean Sea, okay? They were given the job of setting up leaders in these churches. These were young churches, baby churches, if you will, and they needed very strong men and women to step up and lead. Now, this was a dangerous, this is a dangerous thing because you do not want to put the wrong person into place when it comes to leadership of a baby congregation. And I'm sure that Timothy and Titus, he, they're like saying to Paul, what are we looking for here? You've got to help us out here. Okay? What type of people are we looking for to serve and to lead in these places? Well, Paul, being Paul, very thorough, he produces lists that will help double T here, Timothy and Titus, all right? Make sure the right people are put in place to serve in these churches and to lead in these churches. Many people have taken these lists that we find in First and Second Timothy and Titus, and they've written the, off these lists. That these lists are just for the hyper-Christians, you know what I mean? You know, those ultra-Christians, those Christians-Christians. You know, they're like Christians all the time, all right? I think we're supposed to be that, all right? I think all of us are supposed to be that. But this is the thing. There's no such thing as a hyper-Christian. You're either following Jesus or you're not, okay? And Jesus lays this out in front of every, every follower of Jesus. Every single one needs to be prepared to answer the call to serve and to lead. Every one of us. Gene Getz wrote a book. He wrote in a number of books. He wrote a book, then his son helped him write a book, and then his wife helped him write a book. The one he wrote was called Measure of a Man. The next one they wrote is, is and I don't, I'm going to butcher this, and JB's out there right now, like Measure of team or something like that. His son helped him write that. And then his wife helped him measure of a man too, because women know everything about men, right? No, just kidding. His wife helped him write measure of a woman, okay? Taking all of these things that we find written to Timothy and Titus and applying them to us, okay? Not just to elders or elders' wives, Applying them to us, all of us. So we're going to go through these next number of weeks. Every one of the he lays it out right from Scripture so very well. Nineteen characteristics, character traits, whatever you want to call it, okay? Of what a prepared worker of Jesus Christ looks like. So the first one we're going to look at today, number one, is this above reproach. We're going to read all through this in these next few months, all right? Above reproach. The way that this is defined for us quite well is someone who has a good reputation. 
We're going to look at that today, but that's not all. We're just going to go through these really, really quick. The husband of one wife. What that looks like is this, morally pure, temperate, balanced in words and action, prudent, wise and humble, respectable, a good role model, hospitable, unselfish and generous, able to teach. Someone who communicates sensitively in a non-threatening and a non, that's a big one, non-defensive manner. Not addicted to wine, not addicted to substances. Not self-willed, not self-centered and controlling. Number 10, not quick-tempered, void of anger that becomes sinful. Not pugnacious, it's not abusive. Gentle, sensitive, loving, and kind. Peaceable, non-argumentative, and non-divisive. Number 14, free from the love of money, non-materialistic. Number 15, manages the household, their own household well, a good spouse and parent. Number 16, loving what is good, pursues godly activities. Number 17, just, wise, discerning, non-prejudiced, and fair. Number 18, devout. This is holy and devoted to God. Number 19, self-controlled. Discipline. 19 of them. No problem, right? Piece of cake. Who's got it down? Who's got it? Put your hands up. Okay, I was just doing that for example, okay? All right, something we got to understand about this, folks, is this. This is a journey, Okay? This is a list where 100% completion of this list is a destination we are journeying towards. The real question when it comes to these aspects of our life is this. Are we trying and are we growing? All right. Now turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think Timothy's going to throw up the first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's kind of confusing. Tim, Timothy, Tim, Timothy. That's Timothy back there, by the way, in the sound booth. That's not the Timothy that Paul was writing to, but he was writing to you, Timothy, because he's writing to all of us, okay? All right. Hope this doesn't get confusing. All right, so Tim is going to put this up here, but I'm just going to focus on the first part of this list, Okay? And this is what Paul says. He says, an overseer then must be above reproach. Above reproach. How many of you have used that in your conversations recently? Your child came home from school. You sat her down and you said, were you above reproach today? Were you above reproach? Did anybody ask your child that this week? Anyone? Nobody? Nobody? Horrible people. What does above reproach even mean? What is it getting at, okay? What is it talking about? You know something, guys? This is kind of funny. Sandy, I know Lee's not feeling too good right now, but you're going to have to tell him about this, all right? Lee, for years, has talked about in his garden at home. Now, Lee's a gardener, and he's a big, big gardener, okay? He loves it. He's good at it. And he's talked for years that he plants corn, all right? And it happens every single year he tells me he goes to war 
He goes to war with those ring-tailed bandits. They appear out of nowhere, and they start robbing his corn in the middle of the night. And I always used to laugh at Lee. I always used to laugh at him. Think, oh, Lee, can't be that bad. Can't be that bad. Guess what, folks? I've begun to hate coons. I hate them. Little ring-tailed thieves. I cannot stand them. Caught seven of them this year and dealt with them. Dealt with them. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. But you know what we found out? After growing row after row of corn. And you realize, Chuck, when you and Angie were taking care of the place when we were in Colorado, you got, you got the, most, the most ears of corn of anybody. What did you get, five? Five ears of corn? Well, we've gotten four. So nine ears of corn out of row after row after row. And what I found out after the seventh, seventh little thing met its maker, you know what I found out? All we did was kill the stupid ones, okay? Because you got this live trap, and now they, like, dig underneath it to get the bait so it'll fall down, and, and we cannot, and we can't catch them. We cannot catch them. And they just destroyed, this past week, the last two rows. And I thought they were done. I thought they were gone. I was like, we're finally going to eat some corn. And Donna called me. She said, it's gone. Gone. The war's over. They won. All right. Stinking little things are uncatchable. Those are the only ones that are left. And what I have done, unbeknownst to me, is I've killed the dead ones out of the out of the pool. So now they're all going to be smart. All right. And I won't catch any of them. If anybody has any sweet corn, we'd be glad to take some off your hands. I love sweet corn. We just not get need any of it. I'll tell you what. Above reproach. You know what those words mean in the Greek? I had no idea this. I dug into this some this week and got back to the background of what these words mean. And what I found is this. Non-catchable. Un, now we'll call it uncatchable. Sounds a little better. Uncatchable. Imagine this with me just for a moment. You're entering the political field, all right? You. The call was placed, and you answered the call. It's time you're going to be president, all right? You, all right? And you've got the resources, and you've got the support, all right? You've got it all. And you know what else? You're above reproach. That means you're uncatchable. You know what that means? Your political opposition is terrified of you because no matter how much they start digging to try to catch you in something, they can't find anything. They'll throw stuff at you and nothing sticks because you're above reproach. Would that be you if you entered the political realm? When we look to Scripture, we get a couple really, really good examples of people within the Bible. Now, not people, seven of them are named, yes, for sure. But they're not the main characters, if you will, in the early life of the church. But they were strong people. And people who were above 
reproach. The first thing we're going to look at, we've already talked about in quite a bit today, is Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. If you want to keep a finger back there in, in Timothy, you can do that. Turn over kind of the first part of your New Testament. We're going to make this easy. The next place we're going to go is in Acts also, Acts chapter 6. Acts 16. Now we're going to turn back the clock just a little bit. I told you that, that Paul wrote these letters to two young men, Titus and Timothy. Well, this is the beginning of Paul and Timothy's friendship and mentorship. All right? Because the book of Acts is just a history book. And a good portion of the rest of the New Testament are letters that were written during the time of the book of Acts. Okay, so when we look back to the history of it, we find this out about Timothy. First ten, or first, first Timothy. Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. And he, Paul, also he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. The, fu- the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that specifically, not to tell us the nationality or that his dad was a non-Jew. What he's saying is he wasn't a believer. Okay, So this young man, Timothy, was raised to know the Lord, which hasn't been going on too long yet. It's still a pretty new thing. But he was brought to the Lord by his mom and his grandma. It's interesting. Okay. It says in verse 2 that this young man was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and in Iconium. This young man, Timothy, what caught Paul's attention about this young man is that people were talking about him in two different locations. People were talking about him, and they weren't just talking about him. The things they were saying about him, it was all good. Another example. Turn to Acts 10 chapters before, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Verse 3. Now there's a crazy thing going on here, folks, okay? The church is brand spanking new, all right? The church hasn't even really expanded beyond the city of Jerusalem yet, okay? It's brand new. And within Jerusalem, you have that the church started among, for the most part, Jewish people. Right? This is long before Paul comes onto the scene. He's still a guy by the name of Saul at this time persecuting the church. Right? So this is pretty early. And when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to find something out. You're going to find out that there are people. Now, I'm going to go on the details. It would take too long. But there are some people among the Jews there that... I'll tell you, there was kind of a division among the Jews. Some were like hometown Jews here, and these are kind of out-of-town Jews, you know. So a little bit of difference there, all right? And they're all Christians now. And some of the out-of-town Jews who were in town were being overlooked when it came to the distribution of food. It was a tough time, folks. There's no Social Security or anything like that. If, if people were without means, it was up to the religious people to meet those needs, all right? And the church was doing this. But there was a group, widows and orphans, among these out-of-town Jews that were being overlooked. Now, guys, that's a recipe for disaster, okay? Because the church, even at its very beginning, was just as imperfect as it is today. And people get mad at people, and it's just like, ah! All right? 
So the apostles, Peter, James, John, these guys are like, we're too busy to deal with this right now. We're preaching, we're teaching, there's no Bible yet, so they've just teaching from their own knowledge and the power of the Holy Spirit. People say, we don't have time to deal with this. So they chose seven men to take on the task of seeing that this food distribution goes a little smoother. This is what it says about those seven men. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The disciples talking to the church. They select from among you, brothers, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. What is the first thing he says about these seven men? These seven men of what? Good reputation. Is our reputation really important? Is what people think about us really important? They were dealing with a very tough situation there in Jerusalem. There were people getting hurt, and there were there was a there was a potential here for a blow up that could just just blow this whole church thing up because this is the church starting it has not spread anywhere yet and i'm sure satan was right in the middle of the, trying to just blow this whole thing up before it even got started because satan's terrified of the church all right this is a tough situation and it needed good people to be in charge of getting it taken care of people with a good reputation it was essential Because nobody's going to listen to someone who does not have a good reputation. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Let's talk about this reputation just for a little bit, okay? When it comes to a good reputation, you know something? We can fool people. As a matter of fact, when it comes to a good reputation, I can fool the vast majority of the people in this room right now. Completely. There's a handful of people within this room that I probably could not fool. But the majority of you, I could. Because it's possible to fake spirituality. It really is. And when you only see people a couple hours, a few hours a week, it's, it's really not that hard. It's not. You want to know what I'm really made of? Who are you going to ask? Some of them are in this room. Now, don't ask my mom and my dad. They think I'm perfect. <laughs> they used to not think I was perfect, but I don't live with them anymore. Oh, you can smile all you want, Mom. You think I'm perfect. You know what? Dad's over there going, <laughs> Now, don't ask them, okay? Ask Donna and the double A's. Donna and Addison and Audrey. And they will tell you what I'm about. What do people say about you? People are talking about you, whether you know it or not. There are. Every one of you in this room, there's people talking about you. What do they say about you? What do the people closest to you say about you? Here's a little exercise for us all. 
those of you who are married, why don't later today, this evening, you go to your spouse and ask him or her exactly what he or she thinks about you and give him or her permission to say whatever they want and be completely honest. What are you laughing at? How many are you going to do that tonight before you go to bed? We got a few of you? All right. The Bible also says don't go to sleep angry, preacher. What are you telling us to do? Okay, now if that's not good enough, those of you who are parents, do the same thing with your children. What do you think about me? And you can say anything you want, and I'm not going to get angry with you because I want to learn. Why is a good reputation so important? Why should I care about what other people think? After all, isn't that what the world's telling us? You be your own person. Who cares what the rest of the world thinks? Isn't it my job to please God after all? Now, please people. Don't tell me to be a people pleaser. Why is a good reputation so important? Really, it... The answer is pretty simple. When I'm in a vulnerable place, when I'm in a place where I need help, I truly, truly need help. And that help could come in a... It could be spiritual help. It could even be a material need of something. When I really, really need help, and I'm vulnerable because you put yourself in a vulnerable position to go ask for help. When I'm in that place, I go only to people I trust. And I trust people with a good reputation. Being bringing and building, being a light to the people around us so that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, bringing people to salvation in Jesus Christ, building disciples, all three of those things will not be done by anyone effectively unless that individual has a good reputation. It does matter what people think about us. I get asked to write letters of recommendation every now and then. And I'll tell you what, it is a joy to write one of those letters for a person or a couple who's above a love it because I don't have to lie no just kidding <laughs> alright if you're a note taker get the pens out alright because poor Tim back there I sent him so much stuff to put on the overhead this week there was one more thing I probably should have had him do and I was like I'm just not going to do it to him I'm not he's a man in the booth by himself today he's got a lot on his plate alright so I'm sorry 
that we didn't do this. So I will go over these slowly, okay, if you want to write them down, okay? Jean Getz, again, the author of Measure of a Woman, Measure of a Man, Measure of a Kid, something like that. I don't know what the title is, sorry. Um, he has the above reproach good reputation litmus test, all right? So if it wasn't enough to be challenged to ask your spouse what they think about you, here you go. Here's the rest of it. Here's the question to honestly ask ourselves. Number one, do people trust me with confidential information about themselves? That's a pretty good question. Do people trust me? You're asking yourself, right? Do people trust me with confidential information about themselves? Do they know I'm not going to go to Facebook and tell the world? Number two. Do my relationships with people grow deeper and more significant the longer they know me and the closer they get to me? Let's do that one again. Do my relationships with people grow deeper and more significant the longer people know me and the closer they get to me? Or do my friendships grow strained and shallow as people learn what I'm really like? These are tough questions, folks, to honestly ask ourselves here. Number three. And if you don't get all these down, come up after the sir. I'll, I'll give them to you. All right. These aren't even in note form. I actually haven't printed it out, and I didn't write it, so you can understand it and read it. All right. Number three. Does my circle of friends grow continually wider and larger? Do an increasing number of people admire and trust me? Does my circle of friends grow continually wider and larger? Do an increasing number of people admire and trust me? And number four, last one. Do people recommend me for significant or difficult tasks without fear of my letting them down? Do people recommend me for significant or difficult tasks without fear of my letting them down? Above reproach. Here's the question, folks. Are you and I becoming more and more uncatchable? If people knew our dirty little secrets, would there be any dirty little secrets to know? Are we living above reproach? It's not because we're just good at not getting caught. You know, that's not what I'm talking about here. But this, but because 
our attitude and actions feed our good reputations. Yes, it matters what people think about us. I'm going to tell you right now, we will not, as we work our way through those 19 character traits over these number of weeks ahead, we're not going to leave this one behind. This one, this one, it's like Paul, he's so good at doing this in his writing, he like gives you the summary he gives us the summary before he gives us the meat of the message. And that sounds so strange, all right? But this above reproach thing, it's like, he says, live above reproach. But then he follows it telling us how to live above reproach. So, so we're not leaving this in the rearview mirror and not touching on it anymore, all right? Because it's important. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Folks, the call is coming on your life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's part of the arrangement. He has something for you to do. Will we, will we be ready when the call comes? All right. Why don't you stand with us, please? We were a little bit nervous about starting such an important sermon series on Labor Day weekend. In reality, today, this above reproach thing is just really an introduction to what we're going to dive into. The practical day-to-day things that we do in a way that brings us to a place of living above reproach. So we're going to get the how later. I'm so glad you're here today to get the why. Because you matter. Every one of you matters in the kingdom of God. And there are things that our Lord and Savior want. They want it done right here in the middle of the Midwest of the United States of America that will not get done if you do not prepare yourself to answer the call when it comes. Every one of us in this room is a vital part of God's plan. And his plan is to get as many people home in heaven as possible. You matter. I can't wait to dive more into this in the weeks to come. If the Lord's working on you in any way whatsoever, we're going to pray. We're going to close come down here if the Lord saints and they might not have anything to do anyway whatsoever